0: This is FaithCast, weekly messages from Victory Faith in Spokane, Washington. To stay connected with Victory Faith, visit VictoryFaith.org, where you can submit prayer requests and praise reports, sign up to receive weekly email updates, give online, and much, much more. Consider joining us for our live stream online Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at VictoryFaith.org live. Now, on to the message. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. When you choose to give through Convoy of Hope, together we are accomplishing the mission of Matthew 25. Your gift teaches and encourages good stewardship while fueling the fire of generosity in the DNA of your church. Convoy of Hope has been a trusted partner of the church for many years working alongside the church and local communities to bring lasting practical and spiritual impact. There are children who will eat tomorrow because your ministry gave their one day to feed the world. It's really exciting. I I love this uh, offering that we do. Thank you, sir. I love this offering that we do because it impacts so many people. Convoy of Hope feeds over, now this is a year old, I know it's more than that now, but over 300,000 children a day, they feed, 300,000 a day. And so last year, I believe we raised 24,000 in this offering, so... So Moni and I love doing it. So we figure out what is one day of our salary and we give that. And then I love is you get the stickers to put a sticker on and somebody at work can ask you, well, what's the sticker? What do you have going? Well, I'm working today to help feed kids around the world. What a great opening to get to share with people about the Lord. So good morning. Good to see you. Greetings online. We love you. We bless you. Um, Pastor Moni and I have been gone a couple weeks, but we've been watching online and enjoying it. It's been so good. We're in a series in First John. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. As I was looking through it, I realized we have, between the Valley, Valley Campus and North Campus, we have had seven speakers. Seven speakers. We've had Pastor Trevor, Pastor Justin, Pastor Christina, Pastor Joe, Pastor Jared, Brad Knott shared out North last week, and me. So there you have seven speakers. And I have loved the richness and all that has come out through this. It's been so good. So you have heard that this book is a deep well. This book is an amazing book, uh, the book of 1 John. And uh, at this point, John is most likely the last living original apostle. When he writes this, our best guess is he's in his mid-80s, so let's say 85, he's around 85. And uh, he is the last surviving of the original apostles. Pretty cool, pretty amazing. Um, But not only that, Now we are, when he writes this book, we're approximately 50 to 60 years after Jesus has risen and gone to heaven. So he has been walking with the Lord and building the church for 50 to 60 years after after the Lord has risen. So he's 85 years old. Nobody could speak to this like John could in his day. Nobody could have the insight, the revelation, the understanding that he did. And they tried to kill him multiple times. You say, well, they all, the, most of the others died martyrs' deaths. He seemed, it sounds like he died at old age, but they did try and boil him in oil. It just didn't work. How'd that be on your resume? Tried to boil me in oil, didn't work. But listen, as I've been just thinking about this book and this letter that he had written, Jesus was seen and heard and touched by John. And let me share a little bit more about what that means. He walked... With Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He saw Jesus heal people. He saw Jesus raise the dead. He heard Jesus teach. He watched Jesus die. He was there and met him when he was risen. And you think about it, he saw him ascend into heaven. Wow. And so I just being transparent with you, it tears me up to think about What a privilege to read this book. Here's an old man, 85 years old, walked with Jesus, saw all of that. 50, 60 years he's been faithfully building the church and he sits down and he writes us a letter. And he's a little bit concerned. He's a little bit concerned about the church and you've been hearing about that as we've been going through this. See, in the Gospel of John... We see him, if I could say major themes of the Gospel of John that he wrote in these, these letters is that believe in Jesus, the real Jesus, believe in the real Jesus and when you do, it will radically influence and change your life. And That's what we're looking for and he's gonna talk to us about checking out what's the fruit in our lives. So I have the assignment today of chapter four. Are you ready for chapter four? That's what I wanna know. You are online, are you ready? Is you or ain't you ready for chapter four? So now you know if you've read the scriptures, John is the one who, it stood out enough they put it in the Bible, at times he would lean his head against Jesus' chest. Can you imagine all these fishermen and tax collectors and hardcore guys, and here's John over there just leaning his head on on Jesus' chest. So there is this tender side, this this incredible side of John, and we're gonna get, in chapter four, we get both sides. We get that loving side, and we get the hammer, both both in the same chapter from him. So listen how he starts, verse one in chapter four. Dear friends, that's him. Dear friends, dear friends, but right away he's hitting high gear. Do not believe every spirit. Boom, what? Well, hi, hi, John, how are you today? Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So he's, he's starting right off the bat here in chapter 4. He's giving us a warning. He is concerned. These people he is talking to are in danger. They're in danger of believing false things. They're in danger of drifting off course of God's true gospel and wandering off in another direction. So he says, test the spirits. False prophets are out there. He says, this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. I love listening to some of our different speakers talked about that in in this letter, John wants us to understand what's true and what's false. What is is right and what is the counterfeit? And as you heard a couple of our speakers, if you listened, they talked about how do you find out what is a counterfeit dollar bill? You work with the original. You work with the real thing. And the better you know the real thing, then you know the counterfeit when you see it. That's what he's saying here is recognize. We need to grow up. We need to recognize what is the Spirit of God and what is not. He says, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now that's an interesting statement to us, and I'll take a little deeper dive on it in a minute. But he says, but every spirit that does, does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. So it's interesting, some people talk about the Antichrist, it's some horned beast, great large thing showing up down the road somewhere. But he's saying, hey, this spirit of Antichrist, it's already here. It's already here. It's moving throughout the world. So these people are in danger. He talks to them about this antichrist anointing. Do you know that Christ is not Jesus' last name? <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's not his last name. Christ means the anointed one. So what we're saying is Jesus, the anointed one. The spirit we're talking about is an anti-anointing spirit. It wants to stop the anointing. You know, before we got into this, we talked about how desperately we need the anointing in our lives. This spirit wants to shut us off from the anointing of God. Some translators would say it's the anti-Messiah anointing or the anti-Messiah spirit. So what he's telling us that John is saying, you got to test some things, and I love putting it this way. He wants us to be fruit inspectors, fruit inspectors. So. If you if I we came to you and I had an apple and I had a banana, you would know the difference between an apple and a banana. Somebody could try and bring you something, a grapefruit and say it's a banana. And you would say, that is not a banana. How do you know? Because I know bananas. I have held bananas, I have eaten bananas, I have smelled bananas. I know bananas. That's no banana. So he wants us to be fruit inspectors. Do you know there's fruit that I looked up there there's a fruit called ugly. U G L I. Ugly, and it is ugly is an ugly fruit. But somebody could hand me an ugly fruit and say, that's ugly. And I would say, I don't know because I've never seen it, tasted it, been around it. Or there's another one i looked up. It's the horned melon. Never had one, never been around one. I hadn't seen one until I dug it up online. Somebody could sell me a bag of goods on a horned melon because I don't know what a horned melon is. But if we know what the true is, then we can spot the counterfeit. So that's what he's saying is I want you to I want you to inspect. I want you, in Matthew 7 Jesus said you will know them by their fruit. Amen. So we need that in our lives. So what has happened when John is writing this book? There were Jewish people that were getting saved, but when the Jews got saved, they had a framework, a mindset of the Old Testament. They knew the Old Testament, so they knew about sin. They knew about the need to repent of sin. They knew about the promised Messiah that would come, so they had that in the framework of their worldview. But now something wonderful, amazing, incredible is happening in the church in this day that John is writing is there's a whole lot of Gentiles getting saved. There are a lot of people coming in, Greeks, Romans, people coming in that don't have that background, they're getting saved and they're bringing their old religious worldview with them. And so they bring, when they come to Jesus, they accept Jesus, but they're trying to fit him into their categories and the ways that they saw from the past. And so that is causing big problems for the people. So for the Romans, for example, they would come from paganism. They would come from mysticism. And so one of the doctrines that was going around the church that he is addressing head on is that there were people that were getting saved, then they were teaching that Jesus, yes, Jesus came, but he was just a spirit. He was presenting himself as a spirit with a body, but he was not a body. He did not have a flesh and bone body. So that was a doctrine that was going around the church in that day. And uh, it's important that he did come in the flesh. It's important that he did die physically on the cross. He did things for us and it is so important for us to know that. So that's what he's dealing with. Now some of our other speakers that have shared talked about there's three or four different Uh, false messages, doctrines that were going out, and one of them, I'll just talk about one of them, was Gnosticism, Gnosticism. And I think we've got something to put on the screens for you. And if you look up what some of those Gnostics would say in that day, here's some of the things they would say. The divine light is already in you. You just need to find it. You don't need to believe in the resurrection, the physical resurrection and death of Jesus. This divine light is in you. You you just need to find it. Gnostics would say things like this, that the flesh and the natural things around us were bad. They're not good. Physical matter was evil. Only the spirit was good. And then this pride would get in and they, they would say this, only the intellectually enlightened could enjoy these benefits. Of what they were teaching and what they were doing. And so that would be attractive to our pride as well. If I believe this, then, then I must be in that select group. And then another thing you might hear them say is, Heaven's the only thing that's important. Nothing here on the planet is important. Well, God would have a problem with that because the Bible says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God loves His creation. And so we see that they're trying to get everything to focus on heaven but God's saying God's saying this he's saying that I want you to pray this way Father your kingdom your will be here on earth as it is in heaven See, and how we see some of this, it's a tributary of it today. You see people that are so interested in heaven. Heaven's going to be awesome. Heaven's going to be great. But they say, you know what? We don't need to worry about the natural realm out there. We don't need to get involved in community. We don't need to get involved in politics. We don't need to get involved in this. Just here in the church and the four walls, we're going to take care of ourselves here. and, and, And we're going to get to heaven. And they're trying to press into heaven. And God's trying to press into earth. We got a battle going on here because there's a lot of Christians trying to get to heaven. God's trying to bring heaven to earth. So it's a tributary. It's a little bit of that Gnosticism even in the world that we live in today. So I, I, I just, I, I wanna show us that God loves his creation. So go with me. John chapter three, verse 16, a scripture that you have, even if you don't know the Lord, you probably know this scripture. You've seen it at a football game somewhere. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So let's, let's do a little digging here. That Greek word for world there is cosmos. I heard somebody name their kid cosmos the other day. How cool is that? Cosmos. Come here, boy. Cosmos. Cosmos. Listen to the meaning of this word cosmos. It means to tend or care for the thing that is created. See, we think what God so loved the world, he's just talking about you and me. No, God loves all his creation. Matter of fact, there are scriptures that he talks about that he says, I look for someone who would stand on the, in the gap on behalf of, not the people, the land. I can take you to scripture after scripture. He loves the land. It's his. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so he's wanting us. We are called to tend and care for what he has created. Brothers and sisters, people, and all that's in the earth. So it says, uh, it could be translated this way. Creation to be cared for. For God so loved creation, he wanted us to care for it. Strong's exhaustive concordance says that word world or cosmos derives its meaning from the word comito, which means to take care of. So God is saying he so loved the world, he so loved his creation, that we are our assignment is to help take care of his creation. I love it. You know, and some people get mixed up. There's a verse in Psalm 115, verse 16 that says this, the highest heavens belong to the Lord. Okay, that makes sense. I can't get up there that easily. Okay, it's yours, Lord. <laughs> the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but, and some translations don't do it correctly, they say, but the earth he has given to man. Well, so do we? It's ours? The earth is ours? No, that's a bad translation. That word given should be translated Assigned. The earth he has assigned to man. We're the property managers, folks. We're the property managers. If you own a property or apartment complex, you really know. You you know, the owner looks good or bad depending on the manager. Come on. More of what happens on planet earth is our doing than his. We're the property managers. I can tell you're excited to hear that. The earth he has assigned to man. It is our assignment to love and care for what God has created. People and the things in the world around. So, again, this first, he says, okay, we got to test the fruit. First thing we're going to test for, I want you to find out, what do they believe about Jesus? Did he come in the flesh? And we see John, in the Gospel of John and in the letters, he says things like this to clear it up. He says, um, he says the word was made... Ah, the word was made flesh, so he was flesh. And then he says in other places, we touched, we handled, we saw the Lord. So he's letting people know, hey, he was physical. He wasn't some spirit floating around, he was physical. So he does those tests. And then let's go on to verse 4. Here he is, that loving John. You dear children, thank you John, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. How many times, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten in a hellish situation and I just don't know if I'm gonna make it and I just look up and I declare, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. God, I'm standing on that word. It looks like I'm going down, it looks like I'm not gonna make it, it looks like, God, this is gonna happen, but I declare before heaven and earth today, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That's a beautiful scripture. He says, they are from the world, and therefore they speak from the viewpoint of the world. Boy, we got a lot of that going around online these days. Dear Lord Jesus. And the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize, here's this fruit inspector, this is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So now we're through verse 6, and we're going to step into verse 7. And in verse 7, he makes a major league shift. He makes a big shift. He's still going to talk to us about examining our lives and how we're doing some things. But from verse 17, for the next 14 verses, he's going to use the word love. Say love. Love. Online, say love. Love. He's going to use the word love 27 times. In the next 14 verses, he's going to use the word love 27 times. That's almost two a verse. So are you ready? Can you handle the love? Come on, let's do this. So here's what he says. 1 John 4, verse 7. And he starts out again. Dear friends, let us love one another. Sounds good. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. I love this. He's about ready to, he's going to tell us, I'm going to tell you right now how God showed us he loved us. This is real love right here. It says this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that he, we might through him, uh, that we might live through him. Do you know that real love, biblical love, is more of a choice and an action than a feeling? biblical love is more of a choice and an action than a feeling. We tie it into feelings. In our day and age, in this culture, love is all about feelings. In the Bible, love is all about choices and actions much more than feelings. Let the feelings follow the choices and the actions. So then he goes on and he says this, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that we, he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Okay, so let's have a little fun with this. So you and I, if I sat each one of you down, gave you a piece of paper, an iPad, something, and I said, okay, I want you to give me your definition of love. Because we just read a whole lot of love. We just read a whole lot of love being used in those last few verses. And you, every one of us here would have a little bit differing definition of love. We would, we would. It would be all over the map. So if we're going to look at this, if this is important and he's telling us how we're to, that we're to love, let's let the Bible define what God's love is. Should we do that? Instead of me and you, instead of coming up with our definition, how about if we use God's definition for love? So in the New Testament, there are approximately four Greek words translated love. Let's look at those. We'll put them up on the screens for you. First one is eros. Eros means sensual love. It's a sensual love. Is that, that's not what John is talking about in these verses. It's not eros. It's not the word he uses. Second one is storge, and it is a familial love. That's not what he's talking about either. The third one is philia. That means brotherly love. One of my heroes in American history, William Penn, named a city in Pennsylvania, the city of brotherly love. Anybody tell me what it is? Philadelphia, good job, students. Philadelphia, which means the city of brotherly love, philia. The fourth word is the word he uses every time in this chapter to talk about love, and it's the word agape. It is the Greek word agape. And so, so we need to understand, he is not just talking about anybody's definition of love. He is talking about God's love, agape love. So when we, I could go back and say, dear friends, let us agape one another for agape comes from God. Everyone who agapes has been born of God and knows God. So gosh don't you wish we had a definition of agape? Well just so happens God knew what he was doing when he set this whole thing up and the Holy Spirit through Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 verse starting in verse four gave us a definition of agape. Are you ready for it? All right let's go through it. 1 Corinthians 13, verse four. Love, and that's the word agape, agape is patient. Agape is kind. So now let me jump back myself back to what we read. Dear friends, let us be kind to one another. Let us be patient with one another. Are you getting it? Okay, because it gets worse. I'm just telling you right now, because we're supposed to be doing this stuff. It does not, agape does not envy. Look at your neighbor and say hallelujah. hallelujah. Our God's love, agape does not envy, it does not boast. Even if he scores the best score on the golf course or gets the biggest bull on the hunting trip, he does not boast, but he can bra- I don't know what's the deal about that anyway. You got to tell somebody, that's all I know. Agape does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor. I think we need some more agape in social media. Don't you? There is so much dishonor going on online and and in social media. But God's love does not dishonor one another. God's love does not dishonor. Agape does not dishonor. It is not self-seeking. Boy, is that our God or what? Our God is not. uh, Agape is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Thank you. It keeps no record of wrongs. We need to put our lists on the ground today, husbands and wives. We need to lay down our lists today. It takes agape love, which is what he's talking about. Takes no record of wrongs. Ouch. Agape does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always agape always protects. It always trusts. It always perseveres, and agape never fails. So John is saying, dear friends, let us be kind to one another. Let us be good to one another. Let us not envy one another. Let us not be easily angered with one another. Let us not keep a record of the wrong that our brothers and sister's done to us. That's what he's saying. And I'm telling you, I need the Holy Spirit to do this thing. Because I can't do it in my own strength. So I've just given you that definition. Because God's plan is, number one, I have to understand this is who God is. He is patient. Anybody need to know that today? God's patient with you. I don't know who needs to hear that today. God is patient with you. You're beating yourself up. You're saying I should have done this. I could have done that. I should have. God is patient with you. Yes he wants growth. Yes he wants maturity. But God is patient. He just gave us his definition of who he is our God we need to understand how to receive the agape love of God God you're patient God you're kind God you're not keeping record of the wrongs done God you're you're not boasting God you're this is who our God is and so we need to understand that but if we only understand that we've only done half the job and so John is really going to hit some high gear here with us so in verse 11 he says dear friends here he's again dear friends Since God so agape us, we also ought to agape one another. Oh boy, I kind of like the part of him, agape and me. Not so sure about agape and them. No one has ever seen God, but if, say if, if, but if We agape one another, God lives in us and his love. Listen what happens when we not only receive the agape love of God, but we pass it on. Listen what the Bible says happens. God lives in us then and his agape is made complete in us. Listen, his agape is not made complete. It has not fulfilled its total purpose until I pass it on. You look up that word complete and it it could be translated in these ways. Finished. His love, his love is not finished until I pass it on. It means perfected. His love is not perfected until I pass it on. It means accomplished. His love has not accomplished what it wants to accomplish until I pass it on. I'm totally convicted right now. God says, that's great. You've received my love. You've received my kindness. And now many of us, I just want to go have a party with him and just hang right in there. But here we have another test because God, why do I feel so good with you? But then those people. (laughs) (laughs) But listen, his assignment, his love coming to us is not completed until I pass that same love on. And that's convicting. Help us, Jesus. God's agape love is not finished until we pass it on. Well, God, I love you, but he's a, he's a Democrat. Well, God, I love you, but he's a Republican. She's a Republican. God, I, I love you, but he, he's an anti-vaxxer. God, but I, I love you, but... And the ish, so many of the issues we're dealing with today are so far away from the eternal purpose and plan of God in how we love and care for people. And it's going to get worse. I'm just telling you, John kind of gears up as he moves forward here. John 1, verse, chapter 4, verse 16. And so we know and rely on the agape of God. Anybody here know and rely on the agape of God? I do. I do. You are kind. I deserve terrible right now but you are patient and you are kind and I receive your love and I receive your goodness and your mercy so we know and rely on the agape God has for us and this is the second time he has made this statement God is agape he doesn't have a little agape to hand out he doesn't just float around in a little agape our God is agape that's my title for today God is love God is agape he says it twice in these verses Whoever lives in agape lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete. Here he goes again. His love does not accomplish all that it wants to. That's awesome that you've received it. That is beautiful. But it is not complete until you pass it on. It is not complete. This is how agape is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Jesus went around passing out the agape love of God, kindness, meekness, gentleness, all those things that we read about, those good things, not counting their wrongs against them. Jesus went around and handed out, he says, listen, you and me, we're Jesus on the earth right now. We're supposed to be representing him, passing out the agape love of God. In this, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in agape. But perfect agape drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We agape because he first agaped us. Hallelujah. Should we have an altar call right now? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm at the front of the line, I gotta tell you. You know, I, I, we're gonna read, finish with these last three verses. Um, verse 20, 21, couple verses here at the end. And he's, this sweet John is gonna hammer it home. He's gonna pull out the sledgehammer with us. And listen to what he says Whoever claims to agape, whoever claims to agape God, okay? So you can feel it coming. He's kind of getting the swing going a little bit with the hammer. Whoever says they love God, whoever claims to agape God, listen to what he says, yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. This is sweet John. If I claim to agape God, but I hate my brother or sister, I'm a liar. I was listening to Brad, uh, Brad Knott from sharing these verses out uh, north uh, last week at the North Campus, and he made this statement. He said, you may think you have a fantastic relationship with God, but if you don't have a good relationship with the community around you, you don't have a fantastic relationship with God. And when he said that, I went, whoo, that's potent right there. And then I went and read the scriptures again and I said, he's right on. That is absolutely true. I can think I have the most amazing relationship with God, but if I don't love my brothers and sisters, if I, if I have a problem with the community, then I don't have a fantastic relationship with God. <laughs> Deal with that. That's what John's telling us. God's love is not complete until you pass it on. What's the game? Hot Hot potato? It used to be a game we played as kids, Hot Potato. Now I think the version of it is, you know, somebody hands you the potato and the music's playing and you, 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 you don't want to have the potato in your hand when the music stops. And so you're passing the potato around really fast. We want to do that with God's love. When it's coming in, we want to be handing it right back out to people around us. Hot potato. Hot potato with God's love. Whoever claims to agape God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. So he's going to say it again in a little bit different way. For who's, whoever does not agape his brother or sister, whoever is not patient with their brother or sister, whoever is not kind with their brother or sister, do you get where I'm going with this? I could go on. Okay, just making sure. Whoever does not agape their brother or sister whom they have seen, they cannot agape God. <laughs> If you can't, if I can't, let's make it mean. Let's take you off the table. If I can't be kind, if I can't be patient, if I can't not be boastful, if I can't do those to the brothers and sisters around me, then what makes me think I can do it to God? <laughs> I got to laugh because it hurts. That's, that's what I'm doing. Okay, he's going to say it one more time. Three times in a row he says it just a little bit different. And he has given us this command. Not a cute idea. Oh, I just had this thought. Why don't you do this? He has given us this command. Anyone who agapes God must also agape their brother and sister. (laughs) Boom, boom, boom. He just gives us three punches right in a row. Some of us here, maybe husband and wives. Why do we have, why do husbands and wives have more challenges? You spend more time together. Anybody you spend more time with, you have more opportunity to get offended with. It's just a funny equation how it works. But he's talking about the fellowship and the community. Because if I'm sitting over here worshiping and saying, God, I'm awesome, you're awesome, I love you, you're amazing, I love you, I love you, I love you, but I got a problem with somebody over there, you know, I don't even want to talk with them, I don't want to be around them. They did this, they did that, I heard from somebody, they did this, they did that then I don't really love God. Youch. Okay, enough of this. Pastor Christina shared a couple weeks ago at North Campus, and she said something that really clarified some things for me in what John is saying through this letter. She said, if you were there in John's day and someone walked by, and by how they were dressed, you would know they were Jewish. Or how they spoke, or how they acted, It was an identifier. Their clothes identified them. Their, their, Their words and how they spoke identified them. They're Jewish. And then in that same day, another person might walk by and you knew because of their clothes or how they spoke, they were Roman. That's a Roman right there. They were identified by the things about them. John is trying to tell us, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, your identifier is love. Doesn't matter how you're dressed. Doesn't matter this, doesn't matter that. You will be identified by agape love. If you walk in agape love, people should look and go, he's a follower of Jesus. I know. How do you know? Because he walks in love. I know he's a follower of Jesus. Agape love is an identifier for us. So I have an, I'm going to wrap up. I have an assignment for you this week. Woo-hoo-hoo! Hallelujah. You online, you also have an assignment. Here it is. I think I might put it up on the screen. This week, how can I show agape love to others. Patience, kindness, not easily angered, no record of wrongs suffered. This week, how can I show agape love to others, especially those where there is some tension or problems in our relationship? (laughs) I feel your energy and excitement over this assignment. It's like in high school. Class, class, here's your assignment for the week. This is what I want you to do. Bring it back next week with you. Complete it class? That is coming from a very bad album from my childhood. Some of you may know what that is. The rest of you don't want to know what it is. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I have just been overwhelmed this last couple of weeks going through this chapter. Me personally just amazed at John and the authority that he stood in and spoke and then the message that he had for us, the message that he has for me. And I I, I mean, Craig, well, how do I start? I don't think I really like, I don't think there's some people around that I'm real thrilled about. What do I do? And I felt, as I was asking the Lord that question, I felt like the Lord said, Craig, it starts with a prayer. Craig, or God said, Craig, change my heart. (laughs) That won't get you very far. (laughs) Matter of fact, you may get worse on that one. It starts with a prayer. God, change my heart. Let there be no unclean thing in me. God, don't let me profess to love you, but I don't love my brothers and sisters. And I'm asking you, I'm giving you permission today, show me where I'm not being like you in my relationships, God. And that's where it starts. And he will answer. He loves prayers like that. He loves prayers like that. And he will answer those prayers. Because right now in a group this size, there's some attitudes floating around. There's some attitudes floating around. Got attitude with so-and-so, attitude with so-and-so. But I want to be known as one that is a true agape lover of God. And I want to complete that love by passing it on. Amen? All right. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I believe that there's some people here today that are going to get to know the agape love of god some people here today god brought you here so that you could say yes to jesus that he could enter into your life he could forgive your past heal your past and show you the future that he has for you but i was thinking about this who is this god what is he like this god that you would say god get on my boat come into my life God, change me. Uh, I want to say yes to you today. Who is this God? And we already gave a definition for who he is, and I just want to go over it again. Who would you be surrendering your life to? And this is, the Bible tells us this. This is for you online too. This is who you would be surrendering your life to. God is patient. Agape is patient. And remember we saw, it said, God is agape. So I can easily say, God is patient. This God that you would come to today is patient. This God you would come to today is kind. This God you would come to today does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. Isn't that good to know? Because the world and the devil tries to tell us that God is angry at us. But listen, he said of himself, he is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. He always protects. You're going to, you will get a God of the universe on your side that always protects. He always hopes. He always perseveres. And this God never fails. He never fails. So with every head down, every eye closed, I'm going to say a prayer in a minute. It says in Romans 10, 9, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. So I'm gonna say a prayer in a minute. I just wanna know who's saying that prayer with me that maybe this is your first time and you're saying, God, I wanna say yes to love. I wanna say yes to kindness. I wanna say yes to you being in my life with every head down, every eye closed. Would you just boldly, right now, if that's you, just stick up your hand. Say, Craig, I want you to pray that prayer for me. I want you to pray that prayer for me. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else? I see those. Thank you, Lord. Oh, I love it. Your life is gonna change today forever. Anybody else? saw a couple of those. Thank you, Lord. All right. Would you stand up with me? I'm going to lead us in a prayer. That's how easy it said it is. Confess with our mouth and believe in our heart. So if you would say this after me. If you raised your hand, make sure you say this. If you didn't, it is not too late. And Victory Faith family, thank you for joining in and giving your voice and your faith to this too. Say after me. Say, Jesus, Jesus. I need you. Forgive me for where I've been and what I've done. I believe that you came from heaven to earth in the flesh. And I believe that you died on the cross. The best of all, I believe you rose from the dead so that I could live. Today, I make you my Lord and I make you my Savior. Today, I'm born again. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Whoa. Come on, give the Lord a hand.